I love to try and work out what God's doing, but I'm not often successful. Um, but this morning, if you think about um, uh, what the band have led us through, um, Cyril chose that song, Prophesy on Purpose, because I had sent him a message saying that I wanted today to be prof- a prophetic Sunday. And uh, so he honored that and, and, and served me in that. And then those two next songs I, I find fascinating in what God's setting us up for today. Because in our prayer and preparation for today, we, we prayed this morning and we felt that there were some people who had perhaps constructed things around them for um, their safety, but in fact, those walls were keeping them from what God had for them. And we felt that as we, um, as we allowed God to bring His love into a place that would help us to feel safe, that we could choose to allow God to take those walls down, those walls that are, in fact, keeping us from Him, um, whereas we've put them in place for what we think is our protection. So I just love seeing what God orchestrates. And, and so the song, No Longer a Slave to Fear, is around really our confession of faith saying, God, I don't want that anymore. I want to be lavished in your love and receive what you have for me. And then the song before that, Mystery. Um, the, the crazy thing about a Christian life is that we must become content with mystery. The moment you think you can explain God in all his fullness, you are in error. And, and so um, some of what we explore in the Scriptures comes alive to us by His Holy Spirit, but certainly not all of it in every moment. And some of the things that I'm going to talk about today perhaps might sound perhaps a little illogical, and yet we've got to be content with mystery. And, and so I just love where God takes us and what He sets us up for. Um, before I get into my message, I also want to repeat my thanks uh, to the elders of our church who have um, carried the teaching through January been much appreciated by me just to be able to be part of church but not have to be preparing messages during January. So thanks to Isaac and to Henk and to Richard um, for, for helping us through January. Did you guys enjoy um, having someone different to listen to? Yeah? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> overwhelm me with your enthusiasm and encourage our elders with your applause. That was, that was pathetic. But um, uh, certainly I wanted to say thanks, you know, and each of them are, are different and they bring a different perspective and a different style and, and, and yet I've had really positive comments. So um, thank you to you guys especially. Um, I, I put a video up on Facebook this week, I don't know if you saw it, and I gave a little bit of an announcement about what I'm going to call my message today and it should come up on the screen if my clicker works. My laptop, oh, I'm going to have to rely on my team. So I called this morning's message Churchquake. And I want to explain that throughout the message and explain what it means. But I'm also speaking this in a, in a kind of prophetic sense of what I hope to see. And, and so um, this is part of the imagery that God gave me when he asked me to speak this message. And I'll, I'm going to explain it a little bit more as we go. Um, just play with that clicker USB and see if it's all the way in, and I might get control back. Hey, look at that. Liam, you're a legend. Here's a question. What if we could have the power to shape our world? What if we could have the power to shape our world? I'm going to talk today at the beginning about 
um, this concept that I believe God's empowered us with a creative ability. You know, when, when he created the earth and the story of Genesis and he, he formed everything that we see, he then created mankind, man and woman. He created us in his image. And then he brought the animals before Adam and said, now why don't you name them? And I believe that Adam spoke under the unction of the Holy Spirit being part of God and, and, and almost shaped the identity of creation through his words as he lived in the Garden of Eden. I've got no evidence of that. That's not written in the scriptures, but um, it's, how, it's how I believe God works. So what if I was to say to you, because you're also God's creation, you're also referred to as the Adam race, and when we look at the scriptures and, and God says, son of man, he's saying son of Adam, referring to humankind, the people of God, he's endowed us with the same privileges that he gave Adam. So let me ask the question differently, what if we could have the supernatural power to shape our world? Because that's really what matters. You know, I can certainly um, shape my world and my natural strength to some degree. In fact, as I've confessed to you several times, one of my weaknesses is I often try to be God. And so I will exert my strength in a situation to try and get the result that I believe God's promised me. And many times I've fallen on my nose, got up bleeding and confused, and God said to me, son, I'm going to do this bit, because I'm God. And I'm like, oh, that's right. So may you learn off my lessons, my mistakes, and always not try to be God, but there are times when God says, I want you to do it. He says to me, I want you to shift this. I want you to create this. I want you to shape this. So what if we could have the supernatural power to shape our world? Does that sound interesting to you? Some of you are interested. Some of you are not sure. You're still in that confusion, mystery, logic place. Supernatural defined by some authors clearly just means um, attributed to God. Not explained necessarily, but attributed to God. So what I'm talking about is a God-given power to shape your world, and that's what I want to show you today. And what that's going to lead to is um, churchquake, hopefully. But we'll see. That's not, I'm not sure about that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine over the summer. Um, he's a pastor. And the danger for me when I catch up with my buddies who are pastors is they want to talk work while I'm on holiday. And I'm like, don't you dare talk work while I'm with you, otherwise I'm not going to come and talk to you. And so he agreed, and we sat down, we chatted, and so we, we kind of say it in safe areas, like, you know, how are you feeling, and what's the family like, and are you resting well, and you know, what's the most challenging thing you're wrestling with at the moment? And he said to me in that, that he'd had a guy speak at his church, some of you will know him, a guy called Mark Holloway from Tauranga. Uh, he's written a book called Freedom Diaries. Has anyone heard of the book Freedom Diaries? Put your hand up if you've heard of Freedom Diaries. Some of you. Okay. So Freedom Diaries is a book that this guy wrote because God was teaching him personally how to have a conversation with God. Is that a very simple explanation? Isaac, you've spoken with Mark. Yep. And so he teaches through writing a diary that he calls a Freedom Diary to learn to have a two-way conversation with God. And this man, Mark, has been around New Zealand speaking in churches and community groups, uh, encouraging others that they can also have a relationship with God whereby they have a two-way conversation. 
Well, that's not the challenging part of the conversation that my friend had. He said he'd spoken with Mark, and Mark has got this new journey that he's on with God, new level of journey, and it comes by a result of him saying to God in a rather frustrated way, look, Lord, those good things you promised me, I can't see them. Where are they? They're not around me. And God simply said to him in his conversation, in his freedom diary, simply said to him, that's because you stopped dreaming with me. And that stopped Mark in his tracks. And so he went back to what he had learned in the past. And this is where you might get challenged, and it's certainly something I've been wrestling with, is Mark teaches that you can use visualization with God as an exercise to shape your world prophetically. And he's got testimonies around that. He's got stories whereby which he has sat down with God, communed with God, had fellowship with God, and believes that the resulting dreams and imaginations that fill his mind are actually coming from God. And his challenge as a man of flesh is to have balance and wisdom and discernment to know what is appropriate for him to take hold of. Because God could quite easily show you how to fly like a bird, but there may be a practical promise that he's going to give you. All right? So you've still got to have wisdom in this, and, and this is what's been a little bit challenging. And, and so the conversation went on where my friend was asking me, how do you experience this visualization or dreaming with God? And and it's certainly something that I have seen fruit of in my life as I've reflected on it over the past few weeks. And, and, and the power that we have to imagine life and actually bring good things from God into our world by what we focus on. When I was doing business coaching full-time, my catchphrase or my tagline was success by design. And I was particularly... Um, well-versed in helping people imagine their life and create a success by design. So I'm well-versed in this, but I'm, I'm trying to coax you into considering it this morning so that we can perhaps see a church quake. And that will make sense in a minute. So in my little quest in the last four weeks and processing what me and my friend discussed and and me taking it to God in my conversation, and then reflecting on my journey and my experience, because I believe there's one thing to have a concept or a theory, but there's another thing to have a testimony, all right? It says in the Bible that Jesus heals the sick. Do you agree with that? Well, that's nice to know, isn't it? But when you have a testimony of being healed by God, it suddenly takes on a whole new perspective. Is that true? All those people who've been healed say amen. Okay. Well, so I have this theory and this concept that I'm looking in the scriptures, but I also have experience and testimony where I can say hand on heart, completely full of integrity and faith that God did that. Kathy and I have even just recently, as in the last two weeks, experienced a miracle of God's provision that came about not because we were clever, not because we were strong, but because we partnered and dreamed with him and he made something extraordinary happen by his supernatural intervention in our lives. That's worth an amen. Because how do you think you get it? By saying amen, by agreeing. I was uh, speaking with Corey and Vicky Jacobs this week. Some of you will remember them from their time with us. And they have just um, 
um, been delighted by God's provision of a new home for them. They'd almost given up all hope, they said. They'd got to the point where they said, well, we really should stop demanding of God. And they went into a place of contentment, and then out of the blue, God opens a door, and they, in a very, very competitive property market in Nelson, where they live now, where they have been outbid, outwon, outjinxed, outmaneuvered, outpriced, they, without competition, walk into an agreement to buy a property that answers Vicky's list of what she'd asked God for originally. Isn't that awesome? God intervenes in their lives because they imagine life with him and he does the hard work. Cyril and Adele were telling me part of their story the other day and I can't wait to hear the rest of it, but there's other examples already in this family. And if you're in a place where you're experiencing that and got a testimony, then I want your faith to partner with my faith. If you're in a place where you're not yet seeing it but want to see it and go, how does that happen? Then I want you to listen up and be hopeful that God's got answers for you today. Because... God is a God of promise. As a family of God, we're walking into the promises of God. But a promise from God, as it says on the screen, gains prophetic power when we agree with action. Okay, it's one thing to say amen, but is your amen action? I want to talk about that this morning. I'm going to give you some testimony. I'm going to tell you some stories because there's a little bit more to that that only comes by experience that leads to wisdom. But it's all well and good to have promises. What I'm talking about this morning is God showing us many different ways. And I'm only going to pick one today. God showing us that there's prophetic life when we partner with him. Right? He could do it without you because he's God. Does God need you to change your world? No. But God invites us to participate because he knows it's good for us to walk with him on the journey. And so what I'm saying is God is the one who gives the promise, but God also gives the one that gives the invitation, and it becomes prophetic in power when we agree with him in the action that he calls us into, and that's what I want to see today. So there's a couple of things that go under that if you're writing notes. The first thing is that this promise gains power when you agree. All right, so agree means saying yes, God. Some people say amen. Amen just simply means may it be so as you have said, God. When I come into agreement, if you're in a, a spouse relationship, you have a significant other, then I want to say that Kathy and I have learned that specifically for married couples or couples together, this gains even more power when you are in unity in your agreement together. Because a house divided will fall. A house not together will crumble. So if you're looking to do this and you have a spouse, please do this with your spouse. All right, we now, after bumps, scrapes, bruises, and lots of crying on my part, Kathy and I now agree not to move forward unless we both say yes and amen. All right, so firstly, you've got to listen. Secondly, you've got to agree with God and agree together. And thirdly, faith means action. I want to talk about this today. All right, so firstly, you've got a promise that gains prophetic power when you agree with, if you're listening to God, you're hearing what He says. Secondly, it requires you to agree with him and agree with each other. And thirdly, put your faith into action. And I want to look at the scriptures to give you some example of that. So this morning, I want to take you to where I've been reading in the last month. I want to take you to a book that's uh, 
interesting <laughs> to say that. You know, the books of the prophets, both the major prophets and the minor prophets in the Bible, are um, really interesting to read, but they can become like a story. Like sometimes in my quiet time with God in the morning, I will take a passage like this, or I'll take a, a section of Scripture, and I'll just read it like a storybook. Um, I, I will say to people often, please learn to read the Bible for relationship with God, not just what you must do as a result of it, the revelation that comes. Sure, we study scriptures, we look for revelation, we say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me something today? But I find there's a, there's a great um, um, peace that comes in the absence of pressure when you go, you know what, I'm just going to read this like a narrative. And, and, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the narrative of David um, as he was uh, established as king over Israel. He'd been king of Judah, and then he became the king of Israel. And I just read the story, and you remember when he relocated the Ark of the Covenant, and, you know, there's a mountain of revelation in that passage, but I wasn't reading it for that. I was just hanging out with Jesus, because Jesus is the Word, and he and I were having a good time together. So I've been, I've been doing the same with Ezekiel. And that's why I've, I've landed up here today. So I'm not going to take you through line by line, but I'm going to look first and foremost at Ezekiel chapter 36. And so this is, of course, written down and captured by the prophet whose name is... Are you all sure of that? Okay. The book is called... Because it's written by... Okay. All right. That's free today. You're welcome. So he's writing down what God is saying to him, but it becomes a written instruction for God's people. And you can see at the beginning, son of man, God says, speaking to Ezekiel, the prophet, prophesy to Israel mountains, give them this message. O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. And so what I, what I want us to see is there's a time going on here where God's people are under uh, oppression. They're being attacked, they're being beaten up, they're missing out, um, they're God's sheep, but they've been scattered, and uh, enemies are, are mocking them, and they're saying, well, you're God's people, but he doesn't take care of you, and you can't even feed yourself, and we can swoop in there and beat you up whenever we want. What kind of people are you? This is their reality. And God comes in and he speaks to the prophet. He says, son of man, prophesy to the mountains. Hear the word of the Lord. And what I want to say first and foremost is regardless of your situation, God sees you. However you're feeling, whatever stage of the journey you're in, however you're feeling in life in relation to the good things God has before you, God sees your reality. And, and that's really encouraging. Because one of the lies that the devil will use repeatedly, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how many times you've been around the sun, doesn't matter how mature you are in faith, doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, a worship leader, a kids worker, or someone that serves in the kitchen, it doesn't matter who you are in the church, the devil will come and say, mm, did God really say that? Are you sure he's with you? Because like, it kind of looks like you're alone right now. And the lie is that God is absent in your life, when in fact that's ridiculous because God is omnipresent and is everywhere at all times. So if you're missing him, it's not because he's absent, it's because you can't connect with him. But to translate that into a little t truth, which means your reality is, oh my God, goodness, God has abandoned me. No, God sees you, always. And it's something that some of you need to take courage from today. What I love about in verse 5 
is uh, we read this, the, the mountains here, the word of the Lord, verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my jealous anger burns against your enemies, especially Edom, because they have shown utter contempt for me by gleefully taking my land for themselves as plunder. You know what's really awesome? I'm going to give you some, an analogy here to align with this principle from the scriptures. Is imagine you're a parent. Some of you are parents. If you're not, just imagine. And you've got a young child, and that young child's in the playground, and they love to play on the seesaw, but there's another child there that wants to dominate the seesaw. And they're pushing your little child around, and they're telling them to get off, and they're wanting to play on the seesaw, and your little child is sitting in the dirt crying because they can't play on the seesaw. And you're the parent. You're sitting there with your nappy bag and your phone of your uh, focus and your coffee, of course. What do you do? Do you watch and do nothing? Do you calmly relax and say, oh, well, may it be so. Life will teach them to be strong eventually. Of course you don't. Does anger rise up in you as a parent? Do you feel a little bit of like inside? Do you want to go over and give them the back of your hand to get them out of the way? You wouldn't, of course, but do you feel like it? Of course you do, because you're a parent. Your heart goes out for your children. What I love about this is it shows us that God's anger burns for you on behalf of you when you're under attack, oppression, or you're not living the life He designed for you. It doesn't say God's angry at you, because that's not His nature. God is angry for you, and as He rises up as a parent, and He marches across the playground to bring justice to His son or His daughter. May that encourage you today. Okay. Let's carry on, otherwise we'll be here all day. Uh, next one, verse 7. God says this. Well, first he says he's furious, and then he says, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I have taken a solemn oath that those nations will soon have their own shame to endure. So what do we see here? God makes a solemn oath. Who does he make it to? Well, himself, because there's no other name higher than his. And he says, I will make my commitment to this one thing. God makes a promise to respond. And so what I'm doing is I'm building it up so that we see that God is watching, God is not absent, God is angry on behalf of what you're missing out on, and He's willing to make a commitment to do something about it. Is that a good idea? Is that a good thing for us to understand? Okay, let's have a look. God declares His promise. Verses 9 to 12. Mount of Israel will produce crops. See, God says in verse 9, I care about you. I pay attention to you. Your ground will be plowed. Your crops will be planted. I will greatly increase the population of Israel, and the ruined cities will be rebuilt and filled with people. This is the promised part of what we're talking about. I will increase not only the people, but your animals, O mountain of Israel. I will bring people to live on you once again. I will make you even more prosperous than you were before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God comes and brings a promise to us in the midst of our despair, our oppression, or our feeling like God's abandoned us. God has not forgotten, and He is willing to bring that promise about. 
that should encourage some of you, that there's promises for you, that these are the things you can focus on, you can meditate on them, and you can shape your world, not because of who you are, but because of what God says through you and about you. I hope to convince you this morning. But there's a price that we must pay, and it's in the Scriptures. I, I won't refer to the description uh, necessarily, but for those of you that wanting to know how God sees some of our conduct, then in verse 17, he refers to dirty cloth. God says in verse 23, I will show you how holy my great name is. The name on which you brought shame, you, you brought shame among the nations. When I reveal my holiness through you before their eyes, then the nations will know I'm the Lord. What's going on here? The people have sinned against God by their actions. Does that mean God does not love them? No. Because God's love for you is not based on your actions. But God walking with you is dependent on how you live and how you respond to his discipline. So God says, look, you're dirty, and you've brought shame on my name, and it's not good enough, and what I'm going to do is I am going to lead you into a place of holiness. And through your holiness, God says, my name will be glorified. That's a good idea. There's two benefits there. One, we get cleansed. Two, his name gets lifted up so other people get to see it. This is a good thing. This is how God works. Here's what that means for us as a church. This is a warning. As I prepare for the next few months and what I'm going to teach us through, I have clearly heard God say that there is a moment in that schedule where we will focus on holiness. And God will do what God wants to do. Because for us to walk through His promise into His provision and the manifestation of good things, God says, guys, you can't be dirty. You can't bring dishonor to my name. It requires holiness and it requires purity and I will make it happen, says God. So we'll be focusing on that at some point soon because it's what the scriptures say. The good news is when we look at verse 25 is the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. Praise God, he does it for us. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you can follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God says, I require, in fact, I demand holiness and I will come and I will sprinkle clean water. That's a good promise. There's going to be a transformation, church, in us when we yield to God, when we allow him to take our stony, stubborn heart and renew it by his spirit. And that is a process that I'm going to be very deliberate about creating opportunity for God to do His work in us. It's the only option I've got. For me not to respond willingly to what He says would be for me to be disobedient. And that has an effect on you. So 
I'm just saying we're going to go down that track. Sanctification is the process by which God brings about renewal and cleansing into his order of living. And it's only when we walk through sanctification that God is glorified through us. Let's look at the end of this in verse 37. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and increase their numbers. They'll be numerous as the sacred flocks that, not frocks, flocks that fill Jerusalem streets. I haven't had enough coffee today. Um, (laughs) They will be as numerous as flocks that fill Jerusalem streets at the time of festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded once more with people and everyone will know that I am the Lord. Here's the deal. Good things are coming for God's people because he's promised them and it's a process that he takes us through. But I don't know if you caught what the prophet said when he repeated God's word. Let's go back to verse 37 because the answer is in there for you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear, what is he hearing? Look at the scripture. I am ready to hear, is anyone looking at the scripture? Could you give me the answer? The plea, Israel's plea, Israel's prayers. I am ready to hear, God says, I'm ready to hear Israel's prayers. Guess what your part to play is in this process? To pray. That's why prayer meetings are so important. We don't get have prayer meetings just so we can pat each other on the back and say, well, life's okay, you're all right, you look, you didn't die this week. No, we get together in a prayer meeting to declare and decree what God has been saying to speak it out because when he hears it, he's ready to act because we must agree with what God has said. That's why prayer meetings are so important. That's why collective unity is so important in those meetings. That's why we have a prayer meeting leader that says this is what we're praying for together so we're all in one voice and one accord in order for God to hear our prayers. Please come on Tuesday night to join us in prayer. So through verse, uh, through, through, through chapter 36, I just want to reinforce this. A promise from God gains prophetic power when we agree with action. So all of that in 36, chapter 36 was to say, God is preparing us for something and we need to act. And that's your part to play. Promise from God gains power when we agree in action. Herein lies the tension. When we dream with God, God wants us to participate. When we take ourselves away to a quiet place and get in tune with God, commune with God is, is, is a, like a Bible saying that basically just means to relate with, to spend time with, to to sit down and dwell with, to converse with. When we get with God, and you know, one of the things we're going to do in night school this year is teach you how to do that for what works for you. Because some people like to go walking on the beach to commune with God, and some people like to be in the garden, and some people like to be playing music, and some people like to be painting, and some people like to be, believe it or not, cleaning the house, and some people like to be having coffee in a busy cafe, and and there's so many different ways you can commune with God, it would be really helpful for you to know what your 
preference is. Just a cheap, cheeky advertisement. When we dream with God, when we imagine with God, when we plan our life and success by design, God says, I need you to participate. And this is the tension that I have spoken about several times because this requires action, but the action is where we can stuff it up. Because as soon as you and I get involved and we're fallible human beings, we can make mistakes. Several times in my life where I've heard God make a promise, and I'm like, right, I've heard it. We agree with it. I'm on board with it. I'm going to make it happen. And I get weighed therein with my strength and my talent and all my contacts. And I get on my phone and I start making deals. And I'm going to make it happen. God's promise is going to happen. And I fall on my face, like I said before. My nose is bleeding. My shirt dirty. I've got a graze on my forehead. I'm banging my head against a closed door. And God said, son, I didn't want you to do it. I just want you to agree with me so I can do it. Right? And there's other times, though, when, when I'm sitting around on my bum going, well, God, I'm glad you're doing it. And he says, no, 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 son, this time I want, I want you to exert your strength. And, and I'm going to open a door, and you've got to op- operate in faith. And I'm like, oh, okay, I better get onto it then. And I walk with him step by step, hand in hand, making sure I do every step only as he directs me. You see, here's the thing. There's no formula with faith. There's only relationship. Just when you think you've learned how God operates, he shows you another side of him, and you learn some more. So why am I telling you that? Here's what I've learned. The best thing you can do when God says you must act in partnership with me is to ask him this question. God, what should I do today? And wait and listen. In the stories, the narrative that I was reading in 2 Samuel, it's around about chapter 6, I think. Um, David goes out to fight and he says, uh, I think it's chapter 5, he says, okay, Lord, he inquires of the Lord. There's a lesson. He says, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord says, well, when you hear the sound of the wind of the trees, march forth, for I've given them into your hands. He goes, all right, Lord, I'm off. And he goes out and they win a mighty victory. And then the next battle, David inquires of the Lord again. He says, Lord, what should I do? Should I go out in front? And the Lord says, no, do not do that this time, for you would be defeated. You must go around the back and the side and come in from the other angle, and you will win. And David listens, does what the Lord says, and he is victorious. What's the point? Ask God what you should do. Don't assume. Okay? So it does require action. If you're going to dream with God, imagine life, have success by design, these all require your participation, but it's it's participation in partnership with God as you're led by God. Does that make sense? I'm getting far too excited this morning. I'm sorry. This is why people don't sit in the first two rows because they get spat on. I can get that far. Don't laugh. Okay, so what do we do? Let's have a look. I want to show you in Ezekiel 37. And I have taught on this before at School of the Spirit, but it was probably like two and a half years ago. So I want to take you to the passage where the Lord takes hold of Ezekiel. And he was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. I mean, that in there is like a, an interesting story. Imagine if like Peter Jackson was making that. Like, How would Ezekiel get carried away to the valley? Is he going to get picked up by one of those massive birds you see in Lord of the Rings and transported over? 
Or is he going to be swooped up in the spirit on a chariot? I have no idea. But the Lord took hold of him and he's carried away to see a vision. That interests me anyway. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. So obviously there's been a battle in the valley. Tens of thousands of people have died and they just left them there for the birds. And he walks around the bones and then the Lord asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Ezekiel, a wise man, says the right answer. Well, Lord, only you know the answer to that because I'm just a guy. And he says to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you. I'm going to make you alive again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you to cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you'll come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Why is God doing this? Because God just made a promise. And for that promise to come into reality, he requires participation from us his people. And whether we're dead, lying like a bag of bones, or whether we have absence of hope, God says, let's speak life. Let's speak life. And I love the more traditional translation because the Lord says to Ezekiel, son of man, speak. What does that mean? You, each one of you. We're not going for gender here. We're saying you're a child of God. Therefore, God is saying, child of God, Speak it out, what you know God has said, and he will lead you in doing that. This is the, this is the practical side of this. You can see there's, there's a couple of phrases that um, God uses here. Bones come together, so there's a rattling. Imagine being in a valley of bones, and he does what God says, and there's a rattle, 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 rattle. That's right, it does. And as he spoke the message... Ezekiel in verse 7, just as he told me, suddenly as I spoke, there's that suddenly again, Jamie, suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. That's got to make you a little bit nervous, doesn't it? Rattling a noise, and the bones of each body came together and attached themselves. The bones come together. Secondly, God says, prophesy, son of man, and see. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves to skeletons. Then as I watched, says Ezekiel in verse 8, I watched muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Gross. Like, like I, I don't like that stuff, like blood and, and cuts and yuck, man. I'd be like, I'd be woozy. There's lots of them. It's not just one. Like I have a hard time when one of my children has a cut or something. The whole valley is filled with bodies covered in flesh and muscle. Then, second half of verse 8, skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no clothes on. No, they had no breath in them. That's what the Bible says. They had no breath in them. And then he said, speak a prophetic measure. Son of man, speak to the winds. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath. Come from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. Breath enters. Breath enters. I love this, but it's showing us something. 
It's showing us that we must participate with God in order to see our world shaped in line with what He has declared and promised us. He's saying to you, come on, you've got to speak out the words I've given you to see your world shaped, to see your family changed, to see your workplace redeemed, to see your future pathway clear for you to see salvation in Te Awamuru Waipa. You've got to speak. And amen, and every now and then would be helpful. Just to encourage me, you know, like, <laughs> preach my guts out here. What does it say in Ezekiel 37? Son of man, we've got to speak. We've got to say something. It's about us. God works through us. He works through me. He works through you. You can nod if you don't want to say amen. Because I'm up to put your hand up. Volunteer. Bones come together. What about this? Well, when I'm working with leaders, we're talking about the structure and the framework, or when I'm working with a family and saying, well, what is God showing you? It's like, there's some structure to it. There's a few things. I was there chatting with Louise the other day about some stuff, and she said one of those awesome questions that I like to use on others, but she used it on me. She said, what's the last thing God said to you? That's how you get in tune. So structure and framework, the bones, the skeleton forms of it. And then the muscles and the flesh form. This is the strength and the mobility. This is the coming together of, of the, the enablement. And then skin, what does skin mean? Corporate covering. Again, that's why we should do this together. That's why you and your family need to do this together because corporately when you come together and there's a corporate covering, there's a, there's a significant biblical um, kingdom of heaven principle around coming into corporate agreement and seeing God's power. A phrase that I used years ago is God's blessing comes through honor. It's on the other side of honor and honor is how we establish and live in our corporate identity. And finally, breath enters. We have a spirit-filled life. The breath of God, the winds of God, the, the, the wind of change, all of that in the Bible symbolizes His Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that comes to dwell with us and in us. Each one of us, if you confess, is the moment you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, you get a deposit of the Holy Spirit by God's grace. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, from the grave, that made Him come alive again, lives in you and me. This is the life. This is how we live the life. Not because you've been to a theological college and got a master's. Not because you've had 17 years serving the church or you've, you've faithfully given over the last 25 years. They all help. But it's God's spirit in us that makes the difference that means we can speak life and shape our world when we agree with God. That's what he's calling us into. And that is what changes our world and leads us to a church quake. The little symbol there with the red lines is um, symbolizing a hot spot, you know, like an earthquake epicenter. You've seen, have you seen these on the news? Like, this is just me creating something the other day, but it's kind of it's an imagery God gave me. And it's a hot spot, and then it ripples out, and it shudders, and it shakes, and affects the areas. Anyone ever been in an earthquake, like a good, a good one? Uh, not good, <laughs> a big one? A not so good one <laughs> by the number, you know? I've been in one, and I watched the earth wave. In front of my eyes, 1987, Edgecombe earthquakes, Roy, roller coaster. It just ripples, there's a shudder that goes out from the epicenter, and it affects around us. But what if there was a church quake 
when the people of God came together in agreement with God's Spirit, that caused a ripple and a shudder in our environment. What if that was the case? What if we were declaring those things God had said, prophesying them in agreement with His Spirit in order to see our world shaped by our faith and action? That's what a church quake, church quake is. That's what we should be doing at the beginning of the year. We've got the whole of 2019 ahead of us. We've already wasted one month. Maybe we're resting, so that's not waste. But we've got, we've got to get on. We're accountable for our time on this earth. We've got to partner with God. A church quake is when the people of God create a shudder, a shudder, I'm calling it a shudder, by partnering with God. There's a wave that goes out. The positive side of this that I can say by knowledge of relationship with you is some of you creating a shudder with your prayers. Some of you aren't, but some of you are. But what if more of us were? What if all of us were? What if we came together because we wanted to create a shudder in our region to impact our region because we're agreeing with God's promises for redemption and revival in Te Aumudu and Waipa? What if we all agreed with God saying that and we came together to declare it, to prophesy, to speak to the winds and see His Spirit change our communities? What if? We created a shudder. Let me show you in Ezekiel verse 37, verse 10. Ezekiel writes, So I spoke the message as he commanded me. There's a lesson for us, eh? Just do what God says. Say what God says. Don't add to it. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. What the heck? It's more than one person that's required by God. Fancy that. It's not about a superstar pastor or a, a team that work extra hard and long hours during the week. It's about a great army rising up. The breath of God, the Spirit of God into the people of God who become the army of God to change our world. Come on. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent North End Church. It's in the scripture. Read it. Verse 11, son of man, these bones represent North End Church. They are saying, oh no, <laughs> they are saying we've become dry old bones. All hope is gone. Our church is finished. Therefore, God says, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O people, I will open up your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again, that I will bring you back to my land of promise, Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you'll live again and return home to your land and you'll know that I've spoken and I've done what I said I would do. Come on, we've got to have hope rise up in us that God wants to draw us into a place of participation. And you know what? Look at the screen. This is not what the picture should look like. The picture should look like hotspots. Why am I so dedicated to partnering with the churches of the Christian churches of Tiawamudu? Because I want to pray for them that they would see God's Spirit rise up in their church in line with their agreements, their doctrines, their philosophies, and their principles, their disciplines, and their moving and creating a shudder. 
Why am I trying to empower this church family to speak out the Word of God? Because whether you're in a school, a workplace, a community group, a street, uh, whether you're in a different town, doesn't matter where you are, you become a hotspot. And you create a shudder by your prophetic declaration and agreeing with God. If I can get the band to come and join me, we're going to finish with a song. Church, I'm saying to you, you're the hotspot. You're supposed to be the hotspot. God is inviting you this year to be the hotspot, to hear the word of the Lord and to speak it out. I've asked the band to sing um, the song, We Speak Life. And I've asked them to, to sing this so that you can join them as a prophetic agreement that you're the one who spring, speaks life to bring change into our region. Why don't you stand? Because the, 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 the Lord is saying to us today, Son of Man, speak. And it's not gender specific. It's not gender specific. It's an invitation to every single one of you. Son, daughter of God, highly favored. God says, come on, speak life and shape your world. Hear the word of the Lord and speak so that things change. I realized um, as I was preparing this morning, just again, I was like, come on, Lord, what, what do you want to do? And the Lord did say to me, for some people, this is a new thing. For some people, this is outside their comfort zone. But I don't want you to stay in that place this morning. So I'm going to make an invitation. If while the song is on, you're kind of thinking, oh, I don't know, can I do that? Then I want you to come in the front, and all I'm going to do is lay hands on you and pray and believe that God is going to shift you into a new space. You know, Paul writes to Timothy, because of the gifts that came upon you when we laid hands on you and prayed for you. It's not because I've got something I'm putting in a box and giving you. It's I'm believing God is imparting something, something that I move in in a very, very um, uh, regular basis. I want you to do the same. So let's sing the song and let's surrender ourselves to participating with God.